Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Brew University Book Club Podcast, Season 1, Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. And today we have reached the end with Chapter 15 and Mastering the Rope. I'm Jeff Weaver, your host, and I am here with my panel for one last round of discussion. I will introduce them to you as I do, starting with Chris Morgan, our sales manager in Fort Myers. Hi, Chris. Hello, hello, hello. Are you ready to master the rope today? I'm, I'm ready. I've already mastered it. Oh, okay, good. Well, then we will look to you for, <laughs> for answers and insights. Fantastic. Suzanne Borgia is also here, our HR director in Tampa. Hi, Suzanne. Hey there. Are you tied up in knots with excitement for this? Oh, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I know Dustin Schatz, our delivery director in Tampa, is for sure. He is happy to be here as well. Right, Dustin? I am always happy to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to have you with us. Dan Endress is here as well, our sales director in Minneapolis. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jeff. How's everybody doing? I'm good. Glad to have you tied in all the way from Minnesota across the line. Oh. It's going to be a whole episode of this. Guys, get ready. There we go. All right. Fine. They're staring at me like I'm crazy, but that's fair. Uh, last but not least, Lisa Velez, our e-commerce director in Tampa, is also here. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to reel this one in. So let's do it. Chapter 15, Mastering the Rope. I'm going to just start by admitting I have blatantly stole this entire chapter. Uh, when I teach this in both Great Manager and Monkey Management, I think this is one of the best analogies for explaining delegation that I've ever read and I have stolen every bit of it. And if you ever see my copy of Entree Leadership sitting out on the table, all the notes and stickies and highlighting that I have done is all around this chapter because I, I just love the way he presents this. But I'll sit back and let you guys talk about it because I have talked about it many times before. Tell me your thoughts uh, right off the top about mastering the rope and delegation. Well, I, I love the quote from actually from Ronald Reagan on here that says, surround yourself with the best people you can find, delegate authority and don't interfere. I mean, that to me, that kind of sums it up right there. And this is something that I think all, you know, be, beginning managers, be, first time leaders really need to just focus on. I remember when I first became a manager, delegating for me was hard because I knew I could do it. So I wanted to do everything. And then I realized that if I was doing everything, everyone else was home and I was out doing. So I realized I had to learn to delegate. I had to learn to trust my people and I couldn't interfere. I had to not interfere with it and let them just let them go. So this, that to me was just what a great quote that is. I agree wholeheartedly, Chris, that most of us are successful because we love to do and we love re results and we love action. Um, but I would be curious to see how much more successful we would all be if we learned to effectively delegate to work. He says it later in this chapter, work on the business rather than in the business. I know I'm jumping ahead, but delegation will allow you to do that and we'll all be more successful in the long run. Yeah, the thing I found interesting, too, was he really hits home that this chapter is last purposefully. However, I feel like we've talked about delegation a lot through over the past few weeks. So it's either just interjected into our trainings from Brew U or, you know, I think we've he's talked about it in the other chapters as well. And then this is just kind of the kicker for him. I, I think you're exactly right, Suzanne. I, I think uh, 
in order to get to this place, and I, I think he's very accurate about saying this has to be the last chapter because it is sort of the culmination of all the others. There's there's pieces of everything else. And for delegation to work, all the groundwork has to be laid correctly. And you've got to have the right team in the right way. You have to have a process that you can easily repeat and hand off to people. You've got to have trust. You've got to have uh, confidence. And all these things together, and that's why it's come up so many times before, come together here at the end and that's why this chapter's last and really sort of ties it all together well it's kind of why he wrote the book all together was because when he started to grow and um he you know moving forward he had to, to train people to kind of do to act the way he would if he was making a decision and you know yeah it's been interjected through this entire book you know we are building a culture here we're building our team here now it's time to kind of raise them up and kind of let them do their thing, you know, um, as we would, you know, and there's like as, as the manager would, as the leader would. And it's easier said than done. It is definitely easier said than done because I am quick to be like, nah, I got it, you know, and and, and it's just like you got to sometimes just trust the, the people coming up with you. Lisa, that's a great point. I, I had even forgotten that until you just reminded me, but you're right. In the introduction, he talks about that the whole impetus for this class that became this book was the fact that he had to start delegating. And so the beginning of this book's journey starts with the need to delegate and therefore ends with, okay, if you do all this other stuff right, you're finally going to reach the point where you can. Um, so I, I hadn't noticed that symmetry before in any of my readings, but you're exactly right. It's It begins with the quest, the impetus to begin this, the, the catalyst was, I need to be able to delegate to people. And so here we are now at the end, finally able to make exactly that happen. What a great, great observation. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into some of the specifics about delegation and mastering the rope. So Dave talks about this as a rope, and I, I've stolen this analogy blatantly, and I'm not ashamed to say it because it's just so darn good. But he talks about delegation as being a, imagine your team member tied to you by a rope. Right? And that the more you can let out the rope, the more distance and slack you can give them is dependent upon how much you trust them. Uh, and that you can, when you're tied to somebody with a rope, you can pull them to you or you can bring them along with you, but you can't push them because you can't push a rope. It's such a beautiful visual metaphor, right? If, I mean, if you've ever thought about just take a moment and you visualize your head, well, what would it be like to try and push a rope? It would be ridiculous. It won't work. You can't get any traction to try and push a rope. And so in the same way, you can't push your people into doing things. And I, I think that's a great place uh, that he begins about, you know, you can't push a rope. You've got to be able to do other things with it. So what do you guys think about the metaphor of, of the rope and how it relates? I love this chapter, not only because it talks about delegation to employees, but also from a parenting perspective. And as a parent of three kids um, at very distinct ages, 16, 12 and nine, um, I am tied to them with a rope in very different ways. My 16-year-old, um, I've lengthened it. My 12-year-old, we're starting to, and my 9-year-old, he is absolutely tied to my head. Um, but my favorite thing, and it happened just last night, is I got a text message from a friend, a parent of one of my son's friends, and all it said is, I absolutely love your kid That uh -huh. regarding the 16-year-old. That made my day, and I'm already getting choked up about it because I'm kind of a cheesy cornball. But... <laughs> That's what it's all about for me is um, as a parent, but also as a leader of people as salespeople is all about developing them and lengthening the rope. That is my goal. If I can let that rope out a mile long, I will do that. But we have to be cautious with that. There are times we need to rein it back in. And I think that's what managing people and parenting is all about. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it's it's just just as much fun to get that message from a customer that just says, I love my rep. I, I love what this person does for me. Right. And and the, the parallel between being a parent and being a, a leader um, is is so incredibly strong. I mean, at the end of the day, parent a parent is a leader that's assigned by by birth. But really, a, a good parent is a good leader. And so they go hand in hand. And I think that is such a great analogy because he does talk about how a lot of what he learned in, in this and a lot of the metaphor he uses was gained over time of raising his kids. And, you know, that's that's not uh, not an accident. It's very much the case that these are very strong parallel ideas. I, I couldn't remember if it was this chapter or one of the first 14, but he talked about bringing in new leaders and bringing in their whole family for a dinner and watching how they interact with their children. And he said that was how he knew if they were going to be a great leader or not. He said if their kids were out of control, unruly, he would stay away from them because he knew he could, they couldn't even wrangle in their own kids that much, try to wrangle in the rest of the team members. So, And I thought about the same thing Dan was talking about. I've got a daughter who's going to be turning 16. I've got to let the rope out so she can start driving. And just, you know, it's, he speaks about that too. Like people ask, oh, you aren't worried about your, your kids driving? And he said, no. I, I they built that trust with me, and when it was time to drive, I knew that they were they were going to be trusted. Now I don't feel that way, but <laughs> you know I, I don't know if I can just hand my daughter some keys, but you know it's going to get there, and and, and work. I'm going to work through it, but. Well, that, that is a, another great point, Chris, and I think it's a great segue right into the how how do we work through it? Because one of the things he does in this chapter that I think is so great is he lays out the roadmap. He really sort of lays down, and again, I. I I only noticed it in this last reading through, but uh, very similar to the rules for vendors, we, we've got sort of the roadmap to, well, what does it take to delegate? Uh, and it starts with integrity and then talks about competency um, and then again, it gets into the levels of delegation beyond that. But I, I do think these are important parts because without having someone you can delegate to, delegation techniques are, are really quite useless. I mean, the mechanics of delegating are not complicated, right? You hand off a task, you set a timeline for agreement to follow up on that task, you come back and meet and see how it did. What makes delegation difficult and what makes so many managers hesitant to delegate is not that they don't know the process. It's that they don't have the people around them that they feel confident delegating to because getting that team built takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of time. Dave often uses the metaphor when he talks about personal finance. Uh, this is slow cooking, not microwaving, right? We can't make somebody a delegatable team member overnight. It takes time. You got to learn their competency. You got to learn their integrity. You got to build them up to be able to do it. And so it, it requires that constant early investment to reach that point. Um, so let's talk through a little bit about that. You know, the integrity piece, the competency piece, and how do you build a team that you can delegate to and, and why that matters so much? What do you guys think? Um, I think it just builds on, or it builds off the previous chapters of the book. Um, like you said earlier, you got to hire the right person. You have to pay the person correctly. You have to make sure that they feel, uh, you know, worth it. You have to invest in your people. And it's just all about building a good team. Without a good team, you can't delegate. Um, so it kind of just plays back on the first, you know, several chapters we've already gone over. And I think they also have to be, you have to have that trust that they will do what you would have done in that same situation in that same situation so if, if if you spend enough time again coaching and working with these people and then when that time comes they'll just do what you would have done so that's for me that's how i've had you know i've done delegation is you know spent that time 
gained that trust or given that trust and now they're off and they can they'll do exactly what i would have done or at least close to it or or maybe better that's what i always say they, <laughs> or, or maybe better you're right they better do what i would have done or something smarter than what i would have done at least <laughs> talent is not enough you have to have the trust that they're going to be an integrity a person of integrity integrity and a person of competency um, my definition, I don't know if it's the actual definition of integrity, but doing the right thing when no one is looking. If we have people that do that, we have hired the right person. And that is probably somebody we can delegate to if they have the talent to match. Absolutely. You know, we always talk about the what versus the how. And when he says talent is not enough, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is getting the job done, what you do, that's not enough. It's about how you're going to do it. I have to be to be able to delegate. I have to trust that you're not only going to bring me back the right result, but that every step in the process, you acted with integrity and you did things the first choice way. If I don't have confidence in that, I can't delegate to you. Because if you come back to me with the right answer and you did it the entirely wrong way by being pushy or unscrupulous or anything like that, then the delegation failed. It didn't matter that I got the result. We care about our how. We care about our values here. And so in order to delegate, you better know their why and you better know their how because what they bring you back is only half the story. Did they get that result by doing it the first choice way is the difference between can I delegate to you or do I have to babysit you? Yeah, it kind of goes back to the whole hiring process. You know, I mean, he had brought it in here and I loved the the term he used was hiring for wholeness. And it's hard to judge people on wholeness with the with the interviews and, and you know in such a time frame but it's almost like you can kind of get a as a as a leader you have to be able to trust your gut instinct on the person that you're interviewing and and you know of course hoping that you're hiring for the wholeness that you're looking for you know without that wholeness you can't really form any kind of levels of trust with and without that trust you just you know it's hard to delegate to anybody you don't trust it's a it's a whole vicious kind of cycle kind of thing you know Oh, it absolutely is. And it, it's because one of the challenges we have in this organization is that we have to delegate to people immediately. You know, he talks a lot about this, about how much it takes time and it takes effort and it takes, you know, repeated instances and constant communication to tell the story and build the philosophy and know the whys before you would dare trust to delegate to someone and let them go. And yet the reality of our business is we delegate to our people immediately because most of our people don't work directly in our line of sight. Most of our people, we bring on a new driver, we bring on a new rep, we bring on a new merchandiser. Within a matter of weeks, we've technically delegated the responsibility of the company to them by saying, go out to the market, go out to accounts, make these stops. No one's going to be with you. No one's going to be looking over your shoulder. And what a big piece of responsibility that is because even though that is their job to do those things. What are we really delegating there? We're delegating our reputation. We're delegating our relationship with an account. When we say, you're going to go in there, or you're going to wear the shirt, you're going to wear the logo, and you're going to be the person that this account deals with on behalf of the company, we've delegated our relationship to that person. And sometimes that person's pretty new in position. So that's where those first few weeks of training, when we do have them shadowing with someone, writing with someone, are so critical to understand what we're trying to achieve. It's not just technical mastery. It's not just can they put in an order into the handheld and get the accurate answer. We've got to make sure that in those first precious few weeks we have them paired up, that we are teaching the whys and teaching the hows and building a culture because the minute we turn them loose, we haven't just given them their job. We've delegated 
our relationship to the accounts they're a part of. And I think that's something to keep in mind as we think about delegation is what are we delegating? It's not always just tasks. Uh, when we delegate, we delegate whatever it is we're taking our eyes off of. That's really the heart of delegation is I'm going to stop watching over your shoulder and anything we're not watching them do, we've effectively delegated it to them. And are they really ready and prepared for that responsibility? Yeah, that's a really good point, Jeff. I never really looked at it that way. Um, other thoughts. What other stuff did you guys take out of this chapter that you liked? What stuck out to you? I just, I love the imagery of the coiled rope that he sent with his daughter to college. Um, again, the, the cheesy, sappy parents in me will probably be doing this very thing with my kids. Um, and I don't, I don't really see a way that we can apply this to our sales team or our delivery drivers. But the imagery of the coiled rope that here, this rope is now yours. Um, and, and then tie the reminders of the colored ribbons around it. Um, it really hit home to me. Um, I thought it was a great um, analogy of how we should lead our teams. Coil the rope up, hand it to them. It's still within sight, it's still there, it's a reminder, but uh, that you have given them the freedom once you've trained them uh, to go do their job. No, I, I agree with you completely, Dan. And, and you know that, that actually goes back just to our last couple of conversations about recognition doesn't have to be expensive. Doesn't cost much to get a couple lengths of rope and some ribbon. And, and as you're training someone, say, every time we accomplish a skill, I'm going to tie it off on here. And at the end, this is yours. I, it's, I think there's tremendous power in those kinds of symbols and, and objects of, you know, I always say training's ephemeral, right? We take a training, we learn a bunch of stuff, you pour all the knowledge in your head, and then poof, what's left to show other than your brain might be a little wrinklier. Uh, nobody gets to see that part. So I, I always enjoy that training should have some kind of symbol at the end of it. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing that as a leader you could do and say, let me let me make something tangible out of this accomplishment, which is having, you know, we do the challenge coins now as part of that for training to, to signify the end of an accomplishment. But there are lots of things like that that I think are, are super useful and, and well worth the time and effort. What a great idea. I want to talk a little bit about the levels of delegation, because I think that is an interesting way, again, to sort of uh, put some context around this. Um, he talks about, you know, that starting at the most basic level of delegation, there's the gopher level, where I can trust you to go for this and come back. And then it graduates into more of the management levels and the, you know, the levels where we're really taking our, our hands off. What did you guys think about the levels of delegation and the way he explains that? This one just brought me back to monkey management. Um, you know, the the quick and easy handoffs. If someone's bringing a problem to you, then obviously that's the go for level. They can handle it. But um, with the he talks about building a house and the management level in that, like your subcontractor, if you're always on top of them and you're going in and the painter is painting it wrong, you should let the subcontractor deal with that issue and kind of keeping a list for them. And, um, and then he starts talking about micromanagement too. And it was just kind of an, it was an interesting illustration for me. And it, it made so much sense that, you know, you need to let the people who have the authority to deal with the problem, have that authority and actually deal with the problem. Don't go over your team and deal with their problems when you've given them that authority. That's such a great point, Suzanne. You're exactly right. It's It really is. And I think this is something that is difficult the higher in the organization you get, the more 
up you are as a leader. Um, because as we know, you know, change happens at the lowest levels, right? It's it's our sales reps and our delivery drivers and our merchandisers, the frontliners who are out there and doing the work. That's where we know change can really take place. And yet we come through and, and we see things that we want to affect change, but we sometimes forget to add that layer back in and and delegate it the right way and, and let the chain, I, I sometimes hesitate to use the phrase chain of command, but that really is kind of the idea of um, doing that. I had a leader, one of the best delegators I ever worked with, that was his specialty, was what he did the best was if he saw you doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, he didn't call you out. He went and called your supervisor out. And he always went through his people to affect change because it did two things. One is it was a teachable moment for him and his leader, you know, his direct report to say, why aren't you paying attention to your people's priorities and focusing them? And two, it made sure that there was always a line of clarity amongst the various people in the the team to know that we were all on the same page. It wasn't just that, you know, my my boss came by and gave me a job and then his boss came by and gave me a different job. It was no, it always came through the right chain and that allowed me to know that everybody was in alignment and that consistency of commitment is really a, a key part of how teams operate that are functional, getting over to the, the Pat Lencioni side of the world and the five dysfunctions, right? Teams that are in alignment and have agreement. Uh, and so doing that that way and, and micromanaging, avoiding the micromanage that way is part of that as well. It's a good point. Other thoughts on the micromanaging? Because he does spend some time there as well. Um, I like how we touched on it may not necessarily be micromanaging. It may be training. Um, you could be guiding someone through, uh, you know, a process until they actually get their feet wet and, you know, they can take it on their own. Um, so it may seem like micromanaging, but it could be just considered training. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in Great Manager, we touch on um, the situational leadership by Ken Blanchard. And uh, Paul Hirsi, and, and that is exactly in, in he's taking from Blanchard there when he talks about the levels of readiness. And again, that, you know, the lengthening of the rope is also that idea of the more competent you are, the more I can give you. Um, but you have to then prove it and keep coming back to me over and over again. So, yeah, it's there is a, a balance between the newer the task, the less ex, the less experienced the person um, or situationally, the more in crisis we are. Right. And that's the other time situational leadership kicks in is in an emergency I micromanage to everyone, right? In, in an emergency, one person's in charge and they're going to give direction versus when the water is calm and everything's going the way it is, I can be more loose and, and allow things to, to drift farther away. Um, but absolutely, I think that's a great, great aspect to consider. What else? I like the line from the book where he says, if your micromanaging is the result of your team's inability to prove competency or integrity, then the problem is a team problem. And going back to earlier earlier chapters, that team problem is a me problem. It's the problem right. falls back to me. So I mean, it, it kind of also yeah, those are <laughs> those are our goobers, our turkeys. So they, it falls back on us. So if we have to be out there micromanaging, then we just don't have the right people in place. I think it kind of goes back to where he says that the your team is you have to make sure that your team is continually taught the why of your organization and then let, let the how flow from that you know so if you just kind of keep focusing on why we do things that you know we're doing whether it's business practices whether it's dealing with customers whether it's putting in eo market accounts you know then from from there you just kind of you know the, the more they know the why the more they should be able to take responsibility on 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 just you know be able to manage their own days you know be able to delegate your own I'm struggling with the word here, but you know, the more you should be able to delegate to your team if they know why. That's what I'm trying to say. Thanks. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You can't delegate to teams who don't understand the why. If they don't have the compass and the map doesn't work, then they're lost. So you can't delegate to a team that doesn't have a, a true north because the map won't always work. And that's that's what we're doing. When we delegate, we're handing them the map and telling them to head out on their own. And, it, and if the map isn't perfect, and the map is never perfect, if the map isn't perfect, they better have a way to find their way home if they... They can't use what's in front of them. And that's exactly what has to be there for delegation to work. I think another key piece to delegation is you can't delegate without also giving authority. If you don't give them the authority to act on the delegation you've given them, you haven't given them anything at all. Um, to ask somebody to go do something and then not give them the tools or the ability to to make it to make a call, uh, you haven't delegated. Oh my goodness, you couldn't be more right, Dan. If you if you delegate responsibility without authority, you haven't delegated, you've just shifted the blame. Right? It's inevitably that's it's like, oh, you're you're responsible for this. This is your thing. I'm still gonna make all the decisions. And if it goes off the rails, I'm just gonna look at you and say, Well, it was their project. No, 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 no. If you delegate somebody the responsibility, you have to be willing to give them the authority to make decisions along the way. That is such a absolutely true and, and key part of good delegation. Again. You better be able to trust their integrity and their competency to do that. But as a leader, you have to do both. If they're constantly having to check in with you, if they're constantly having to ask permission, they weren't delegated to, they were gophered. I kind of, just to kind of piggyback off that, Jeff, too. I mean, I, I work for someone now, shout out to Mr. Terry Whiff, who is an excellent delegator and he delegates things to me. And at first, I think when I became a manager, I thought of it as, oh, he just wants me to do this stuff for him. But then you realize, no, he trusts me. He's entrusting me to do these things. And and in turn, he's showing me how to delegate these other things to my people. So I took that almost as a as a training, you know, on delegation from him because he's an excellent delegator. I, I give him that 100 percent. And, and like I said earlier, when I first became a manager, I struggled with delegation because I wanted to do I'm a doer. I wanted to do it myself. And he said to me one time, I'll never forget this. We were, I think we were having lunch and I was freaking out. I wanted to go do something for my team. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, I want to go do such and such. And he said, well, if you're going to go do that, I, I should go hire a manager and you become that guy who's going to do it. And I, <laughs> at the time I looked at him like he was crazy. And then I realized what he was trying to say to me. And I was like, you're right. If I'm going to just go do it, I should be the doer and you'll hire a manager. So it, it was such a... Yeah, and it was yeah, it was right and he was totally right about that. It is the biggest shift that managers have to make when they get into leadership roles is stop doing start leading. Stop doing start teaching. And I think one of the ways to do that if you're a new leader and you're trying to make this transition yourself um, because it, you're right, Chris, it, it is so easy to fall back on the I know I can do it. I've got the skills, that's how I got picked for this anyway. Um, I want to do what I know I can do. I want to superhero this thing, put on the cape and get it done. The challenge, I think, as a young leader is you have to take all that knowledge and take all that expertise and you have to switch into teacher mode. And you have to start teaching your teams how to be the rep that you once were. Because I I know lots of leaders who I've said over the years, wouldn't you just love to have a team full of yourself? And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. If I had a team full of me's, I'd get I'd conquer the world. I'm like, well, you can but you got to teach them how to do it. That's your job now. Your job is no longer to do the things. It's to teach everybody that works for you how to be the leader or how to be the, the person you were when you had their job. And if you can make that mental mind shift into I'm now teaching what I know as opposed to using what I know or I'm using it in this way that is teaching, 
that's going to get you there faster and and still make all that relevant. Sometimes it's hard to let go. We, we have all this knowledge. We have all this ability. And we feel like, oh, it's just going to go to waste. I'm in this new job. No. The use of it is I'm going to teach others how to do it. I'm going to create a team of me's to be able to take on everything that I could because that's going to make your life easier, their life's easier. They'll be able to do more. You'll be able to do more. And that's how people who achieve at high levels in organizations get there is by turning everybody around them into the best of themselves and saying, here's how you do what I did so that I can go do more and you can keep doing more as well. Um, the only thing I wanted to add, and I don't think you touched on it, is um, sometimes I see over-delegation where someone may delegate too much, maybe they should actually handle some of that responsibility. Or uh, you put too much on someone else's plate. I'm delegating these 10 tasks to this one person, and he only has time for five. Um, so I, I see that from time to time. You know, that's something just learning to be a better leader, uh, you know, comes with time and, you know, understanding what someone can handle, what you should handle yourself versus delegating. Um, but that's just something I don't think it was noticed in there, but I thought that was an important part of delegation. I agree, Dustin. I do think that's an important part of it is that you, as a leader, our job needs to be to raise as many uh, on our team that can handle this. And if you've only got one place to put things and you're putting everything there, you're ultimately you're punishing achievement, right? You're taking your best player and you're dumping everything on them because they can handle it. The unintended consequence of that is your best player starts to feel overloaded, overwhelmed, uh, and almost unappreciated and like, why is everything ending up on my plate and none of my peers seem to have as much as I have going on? Um, and you'll see a lot of leaders make that mistake of, I'm going to give this to the person I know that can handle it. And that's great. You shouldn't give things to people that can't handle it. But if you've only got one person that can handle it, there's your opportunity is to make sure you've got a, a good, even spread and that you're not overloading a winner with more than they deserve just because they can handle it. Uh, you want to make sure that you put that around, but that begins with making sure you've got enough people you can delegate to by spending time with all of them. So Really great point, and you're exactly right. I've, I've seen it myself, too, where leaders, they put it all where they think it can be handled. They give it all to their their star, uh, and then their star ends up burnout, overloaded, and resentful because they've got everything instead of taking the time to raise multiple leaders around them. Great point. Great call. All right. Well, delegation, mastering the rope. Way to tie it all up, guys. I think this was a good one to end on, so... Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I want to I want to take a minute now that we are in our final chapter. This was our, our last episode, um, and just say any final thoughts on entree leadership as a whole. I know we we're bringing this whole thing together here. He sort of sneaks the conclusion of the book into this last chapter anyway, so we'll do the same. Uh, but as we come to the end of our journey, it's it's been 15 chapters of fun. But what do you guys think about this book? How'd you like it? Uh, would you recommend it to others? What do you think about entree leadership as we wrap it all up? I thought the book was excellent. I was actually, uh, as I was finishing it, I was thinking about who I was going to pass this book on to. I was thinking of passing it on to someone on my team and, you know, let them go through it And because I felt like I got a lot out of it. So I'm excited to take some of these things that I got out of not only the book, but out of also all of our conversation and just, you know, take those on with, with me after this. Yeah, Chris, great point. This was a phenomenal book. Everything by Dave Ramsey that I've been exposed to has been awesome. Um, but to apply this to my role in it as a leader at J.J. Taylor, um, so much valuable information. And as far as passing the book on, I've actually had a coworker come in and say, hey, when you're done with that, can I have that? Oh, wow. So it's already making a difference in the organization. I've appreciated that this book isn't just a leadership theory book and that we've had some good conversations around actual nuggets that we can 
take into the business and to our teams? It's definitely um, a, a lot of the applications or a lot of the the, 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 the advice here is it's things that I'm going to take upon myself professionally, but it's also things that I can apply to personally in my life. I really do think that some of the advice that Dave Ramsey gives here, whether, I mean, there's a bunch of little nuggets that, that I took out of there, especially just organizing your time. Um, momentum theorem is still my hands-on favorite, you know, a little bit that I, I think of daily, you know, and it's like a definitely a great, great worthwhile read. Yeah, I thought the book was great. I like that. Um, pretty much every chapter was practical. I like Suzanne said, it wasn't just theory of stuff that we can actually relate to in the real world and put into practice or that we currently do have in practice. Uh, so it definitely made it a good read. And I'd love all my managers to read it. Hopefully they will. Yeah, it, it was definitely good. Well, Dustin, if they can't read it, at least they can listen to the podcast and get a lot out of it as well. And so I have to say thank you to all of you guys for helping me break this down. I think uh, what's great about this format is that, again, even if you haven't read the book, and I, I think you should, if, you, if you've listened to all of this without having read the book yet, I hope we've inspired you to go out and read it or get the book on audio at least and, and give it a listen and really get even deeper than we did. Um, you know, this book came out in 2011 and, uh, that was right at the time that I was coming on with the company and I had read this book and you can see the, it, it is woven into the DNA of what we do with Brew University. This is one of those books that I call the source material or the source code for a lot of Brew U and we don't credit it often. And it's not a book that you'll, you know, you've probably seen or heard maybe before. Um, but what is here has really been baked into the core of so much of what we teach because it is practical and it is heartfelt, and it is aligned with the way we do business and the way we think about people and the way we think about uh, relationships and integrity. It's all there. So I'm really excited to have been able to share this with you guys and for you guys to help me share this with everyone else because this is one of those great foundational books on leadership around here that I think everybody should read, could read, and no matter where you are in the organization, no matter what position you've got, whether you're a leader by title or a leader by reputation, this is a book that will help you be a better leader. And so thank you all for being a part of this experiment of season one. I think we've done a pretty good job. We'll see how the feedback goes from here. But I think this has been a lot of fun. I have loved doing this. Um, we're going to keep going forward with more books in the future, more podcasts to come. I think this is a great way to get stuff like this out into the world that doesn't require sitting in a classroom, that doesn't require a lecture, but instead can be more of a conversation, which I think is such a great way to learn. So again, thank you to my panel for being a part of our season one of the Brew University Book Club the founding members of the book club, as it were. Uh, appreciate you guys all being a part of it. Dustin, thank you for being here with us this whole time. As always, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Dan, thanks for taking this journey with us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I've enjoyed it. Oh, me too. Lisa, thanks for being here and helping us out, making this happen. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity and the invite to do so. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Chris, thanks for being a part of season one. Thank you, guys. It was great. And Suzanne, thank you as well for joining in and making this happen. Thank you for having us. Hope you guys enjoyed season one of the Brew University Book Club covering Entree Leadership. Season two will be coming uh, soon. We have no idea what it'll be at this time, but by the time you hear this, it'll probably already be announced and on its way. So if you liked this, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast because season two will be coming shortly thereafter. Uh, again, for Brew University and JJ Taylor, I'm training director Jeff Weaver. Hope you've enjoyed it. 